Hey everyone, welcome back to Excuse Me While I Organize with Indira Washington and Hayes Taylor, a podcast centered around building solidarity and movements for liberation. I really wish I could have been here for this episode. Today we'll discuss prison, prison abolition in Alabama with members from the Alabama Students Against Prisons, ASAP for short. Before we start the interview, there are a few things we wanted to highlight to give you some context. So first, if Alabama were a country, it would have the highest incarceration rate in the world. On top of that, in 2018, their Department of Corrections spent more than $642 million incarcerating people, which is more than 25% of the state's general fund. When you look further at like incarceration rates, while only 27% of the population is Black, Black people make up 56% of the incarcerated people in the state. And then in addition, 75% of people serving life without parole under Alabama's three strikes law are also Black. There's a clear disproportionate effect on Black people. So now that you'll have that context, here are our panelists. Our first panelist is Hannah Krasik, a student at Auburn University. The next panelist is Solomon Balam-Reed, a student at the University of Montevallo. Our third panelist is Jadelle Frazier, a student at Auburn University. All of whom are on the ASAP Board of Directors. Hey y'all, how's it going? Going well. Pretty good, pretty good. Awesome. Um, well, to start off, I want to give our listeners some context regarding Alabama Students Against Prisons. Um, how did the organization start? I guess, Hannah, you probably, as one of the founders, Hannah, you probably can take this question. I'll start it and then I'll, I'll pass it off. Um, in December of 2020, um, four students um, all of whom serve on the board of directors now, just happened onto the same Zoom call one day to talk about Governor Ivey's plan to construct three new mega prisons and what could possibly be done about it from a student perspective. And what we ended up deciding on to start with was a protest at Regions Bank in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, they well, they did fund Core Civic, which is one of the companies that will be building two of the prisons, um, or hopefully won't be. Um, and so within the span, I think of two weeks, we, I don't even remember honestly how we started off. It was a very natural process of kind of a big group me of students that got started. And then all of a sudden we were protesting all day out on December 28th in front of their headquarters in Birmingham. Um, and from there, you know, I think we had 40 people at the protest. And from there, it kind of tumbled into this honestly kind of magical community of students that were popping up all of a sudden from across the state to oppose the prison construction plan, but also kind of imagine a better future for Alabama and to address the prison crisis that we have ongoing in our prisons um, and have had for decades, which I'm happy to talk more about. But I think I kind of want to pass it off to Solomon or Jadel to talk about what happened after that, because that's when both of, of them joined us. And 
they have great perspective. I guess, yeah. So I kind of, I came on like uh, late December. Uh, I was, I just showed up to a protest one day in Birmingham, like 7 a.m. I woke up at 4.30. I was exhausted, but we protested for about 12 hours outside of Regents Bank. And over that period, because I had done some activism um, for a group called Auburn for Change that I helped co-found, actually with Jadel, um, way back in June. So I had experience with activism before and, you know, they realized like, hey, you know, this kid can really do something here. So I gave a speech um, at the protest and I also led chants and they asked me to come on the board of directors uh, in early January. And um, really just from there, it's just been like a snowball of just like, you know, coalition building and organizing and, you know, having events. We have right now about 300, 385 students from about 33 different universities across both Alabama and the United States. Um, really the cool thing is that like this organization serves both Alabama students and also students that, you know, go to other places but were born in Alabama. For example, one, one of our board directors goes to Yale. I mean, she was born in Birmingham. So it's really cool to see people who are outside the state really care about, you know, the state and want to see it change. And um, it's just really been a blessing just to work with everybody and just see the what we what the change we've been able to make so far and really hopefully be able to make some more change as well. Yeah, definitely echo that sentiment by Solomon. And I think it's an interesting question because I feel like it's kind of still starting, if that makes sense. Like we're still very much um, norming a lot of things, still very much um, growing and, and forming networks with other um, building coalition with other organizations throughout the state and even outside of the state. So that's been really great to be a part of. Um, I'm the most most recent addition to the board. So I wasn't directly connected to um, those beginning conversations, but I have gotten to see this organization kind of out of that kind of magical growth of, of students that, that Hannah talked about um, has come like some really, just putting some ideas to, to actual paper. Uh, and well, I say paper, but to, to mostly to Google Docs to figure out things like what we want to represent, who we want to be, who we want to form coalition with. And so through that, we have this organization, which now blocking prisons, but has more longevity to block, uh, to oppose the prison industrial complex um, overall um, in Alabama and in general. Yeah, as I was researching for the episode, I was really impressed y'all were able to bully um, like a big bank off the bat because you guys said you guys started in December and that's just like a dream for any uh, young organizer. I wanted to ask, what are some of the challenges y'all have had organizing on college campuses, um, especially during a pandemic? Um, I do want to jump in real quick regarding the region's bank work. Um, Cara McClure from BLM Birmingham, um, we would not have gotten a meeting with that company and their CEOs and leadership without her writing like a personal letter appealing to the CEO um, about, you know, what is mass incarceration and how it actually hurts a lot of Alabamians, particularly black Alabamians. So I just want to highlight her because she was really the like pushing force of, of that work. Yeah, I guess I can talk first about the um, organizing on college campuses. So Solomon mentioned um, before that I was also a founding member of Auburn Students and Community for Change, which is an organization local to Auburn and, and organizing has been organizing independent of Auburn University, but advocating for Auburn students. So uh, that is kind of, that was kind of my, not my first experience in organizing on college campuses, but a, it's an experience where, where I saw a lot of, uh, I learned a lot of the things that I'm, I'm using and employing in ASAP right now. So some of the challenges I would definitely say are um, obviously unique to, to this pandemic of where 
everything is virtual and I feel like we're a lot of us are already burnt out from from Zoom and things like that um, just because of classes. So a challenge in that regard is just finding new unique ways to get like build energy around issues like this and to build community when we can't even necessarily see each other in person. So that's required finding new unique ways to, to protest even uh, or realizing that um, in-person protests, um, though useful, aren't um, sometimes aren't the best draw, um, sometimes aren't the best avenue. So that's brought us to utilizing things like social media a lot more, um, like phone zapping, interrupting the days of our representatives and um, government officials in, in other unique ways like that. For listeners who might not know what phone zapping is, can you explain what that is real quick? Sure. So um, phone zapping, just um, calling, really just calling um, elected officials, yeah, various departments um, related to the prison construction or not at all related, who just have a stake in those prisons not being built and calling them as uh, a group. So amassing numbers so that we can all call them together and kind of interrupt their day. And we have scripts uh, so that people can go off of those um, to make personal appeals and just get these people to understand the issue and their, their, how they can use their power to advocate against these prisons. Another thing that I want to add, and the, I think the difficulty is that being in like being in a, in a pretty Republican state, um, you have the you sometimes have the issue that like you know you get like typecasted by a lot of people not from the state of like really just a bunch of like you know hicks and a bunch of like you know I guess you know just like a bunch of regnecks and that's not that's not true and even that even just I think the, some of the negativity towards people who live in rural areas is pretty troubling. Um, because like you know some of the best people i have met in nlm have been like rural organizers um those who don't have college educations those who just work you know they work in textile mills they work in you know they're farmers but you know they really care want to make change in the state and i think that like that's also just kind of an issue on college campuses in the south because everyone thinks that everyone's like pretty like one they like one track mind politically um and people like think that, you know, everyone's going to believe whatever the state tells you to. And it's definitely been like, hard. I mean, like, you, but I think the cool thing about Alabama is that like, there's so much, so much diversity in thought, but you have to search for it a bit more usually than in other states. And I think that ASAP has done, done a really good job finding those voices and finding leaders in places that we didn't expect originally. For example, my, my version of activism was like entirely by accident. If I didn't get on a Zoom call, like way back in like May, I never would have done any of this. So like, it's just kind of those like those opportunities of, you know, trying to find students who really want to, you know, make change in the state and want to make it for the better. But it can be really difficult sometimes that when, you know, when it seems like you have so many people against you in the state to make that change, whether that's on college campuses and otherwise. So, you know, though that is a struggle sometimes with trying to find voices and trying to make your voices heard on campuses, when you find that kind of avenue to do so, it makes the victories a lot sweeter. And I think that the the idea that Southern or the Southeast is just so hard to organize in or is so monolithic is, is crazy because, I mean, even with the unionization of Amazon workers that y'all have in Alabama right now is just stuff that other states could only dream of. You're completely right in that uh, a lot of people do overlook the Southeast, particularly Alabama, as um, some place that real change can happen. How have y'all dealt with kind of the different styles and structures of campuses and kind of creating unity between whether it's Auburn, Alabama or, or Auburn and uh, Montevallo, Tuskegee, Alabama State, et cetera. I, th- I think definitely there is, there is a, it's, it's very unique in how like each, how each uh, like university operates. Like for example, like Montevallo, 
is like a really small liberal arts college that is like pretty stick like pretty liberal state like you know politically um which is to be expected and and really i think the location and the spot and like this and this you know and we're 30 minutes away from uab and went out with Atlanta, and alabama and like the structures they're completely different and how and how the kind of the campus vibe is is very different too but i think being able to one like find a way to connect each other in different campuses um, one thing that we do, I think we try to do a good, you know, good job. at like having like social zooms, um, in which like we're all good, we're at different campuses, but like we can kind of, you know, understand each other. We can try to like you know, you know, relate to each other a bit more, and also just you know trying to figure out like the intricacies of like each campus and like what change needs to be done in that area too, um, because like what because like how you organize in Auburn is different how you organize in, in Birmingham, and how you organize at like a you know HBCU is different than how you organize at PWI. Um, and having like all those diverse uh, voices, especially like at HBCUs, and those are so so important um, when it comes to you know any activism in in, in the South. Um, it's really important to like listen to those voices and trying to see how do we you know how do we how do we get uh, change done on those separate college campuses as well as make sure we all work as a collective unit across the state. Yeah, to that point, I think we found that um, even though each each campus is obviously unique, that there's a lot in common about. Um, our connections to um, the prison industrial complex. That, like, uh, a good example um, to me is B.L. Harbert, who um, has ties to prison construction and also um, Auburn's board of directors, and also construction on um, Alabama's campus. You know, that's that's just like a web that spans across the state, really, and connects all of our campuses. Um, and is one way for people to realize how far-reaching these issues are and to get educated on their own. So I think there's a lot of opportunities um, because of how um, because of how the state works and because of how these these systems that we're up against work um, and are so pervasive throughout all of our campuses. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities for um, us to build common education that way by highlighting those things. Awesome. And I also wanted to ask or actually commend you guys on the intentionality of the way you guys are describing the, the structure. I feel like too often, a lot of times when we organize on college campuses, um, people tend to overlook the work that a lot of locals are doing or insiders are doing. And I, I think that it's really cool, like particularly with y'all's link tree, just how y'all have uh, outlined information and given people resources and aren't necessarily directing what local people might be doing. Do y'all want to talk a little bit about some other specific initiatives that y'all are working on right now? I know that you guys mentioned um, the Citibank protest in Birmingham. Is there more to be done on that or... Um, I think some of the big things we're working on is obviously opposing the prison construction plan. Um, just because two of the contracts have been signed doesn't mean that it's the end all be all. They don't have to still be built. I don't believe construction is supposed to start or be finished by 2025. Um, and so there's still time. Um, there's still, you know, ways to oppose those. So we're still moving with, with that initiative. Um, a couple of other things that we've are current we're currently working on and we're hoping to work on in the future include um sticking to some of the divestment work we've we've done already um particularly as it relates to how higher education institutions perpetuate the prison industrial complex um we have some school to prison pipeline research working group working to figure out like basically how can asap support initiatives already on the ground? How can we um, fill any gaps that might exist? Um, and also trying to build 
our inside outside alliance work and share the stories of those who are incarcerated. Um, you know, one of our priorities, um, we passed our bylaws last night and one of the kind of sections I think speaks to our hope and vision and goal of ASAP, which is to support the people who are most affected by this. And that's who's inside Alabama prisons now and those who have been. Um, and so that's the kind of work we're focusing on now. Solomon, Jadel, feel free to jump in. We have a lot going on, so I know I missed plenty, but that's kind of what we're working on now and what will probably direct our long-term work as well. I think one thing that um, I want to hit on just real quick, uh, you know, this, I think one, one thing that's important, it, it's kind of a bit, I guess, adjacent to the, to the region's bank. It's like, make, it's like divestment and making sure that the companies that are investing in private prisons, you know, they're, they're, they're exposed and, you know, hopefully we work to take that money out of it because like in any, in any, you know, with any, with any system, it only works with the resources that are in it. And, you know, with so many companies, there's a, a lot of them and like every day I dig and I feel like I find more, you know, with all these companies that are putting their money into these private prisons, if you're able to divest money from that and put it towards like education and mental health, mental health resources and like healthcare and things that actually help communities better, it makes cities a lot safer, makes the state a lot safer. So one thing that we're definitely working on, it's, it's gonna be like a long-term project it's the divestment of making sure that we can take, you know, we should take, you know, companies are no longer putting their monies in these prisons and they're putting it towards, you know, other initiatives that I got to help people. That's um, awesome. I was really surprised when I was going over y'all's fact sheet, um, just how much of the prison budget uh, constitutes y'all's general fund. I thought that was crazy, more than 25%, which I don't know how that compares to like most states, but that just seems like, like an egregious amount. How do you guys view like electoral politics and do you guys plan on working at all in electoral politics kind of with elections? Because I know those are also very important and, and key uh, when talking about funding. There's been like really early preliminary conversations from like the lo- like logic coalitions. I'm personally, I, so I'm actually, so I'm a poli sci major um, at Montevallo and I've actually worked on political campaigns before. Um, so like I have experience in that matter, but I, I, we tend to try to at least like kind of separate the whole like activism and, and politics right now because, you know, the a lot of these issues that we're seeing in these Alabama prisons are both perpetuated by both parties, um, and like you know, and it, it, it's and one thing that we we have to I think consider is that like you know a lot of you know a lot of people no matter the political fili- like affiliation contribute to the issue it's in Alabama. Um, and I mean, uh, but obviously you want to vote in people who disagree with these prisons and want to see a better future for Alabama. Um, and, you know, with the, with the elections happening, like in 2022, I guess, like, you know, who knows what will happen on that realm. And I'm certainly interested in seeing, like, you know, if anyone really takes a lead politically in their campaigning about this issue. But really one thing that we're trying to do is that, and one thing that I take pride in is that like, there's a lot of allies in this movement. And, you know, even though I'm politically a lot left than most in this state, you know, we've seen allies who are much more righter than us don't want these prisons in the state either. And I think that's the one thing that's really cool about, no, really uh, cool about this issue is that, you know, a lot of people different who are different politically and economically think that these prisons should be built. And um, hopefully, you know, we can, you know, you know, stop these prisons and also, you know, both the people out that, you know, tried to get them built in the first place. Yeah, I think um, to, I think, elaborate more on the, the point that Solomon was making, um, we're definitely 
In terms of opposing this prison plan and in prisons in general, I mean, strategy building is so important. So, I mean, uh, any type of political involvement or advocating or petitioning to legislators is and representatives is part of is a, a tool in that toolkit of strategizing. So, something that we we may use from time to time. Um, but our focus definitely isn't on you know supporting any particular candidates or or anything like that because, like Solomon said, um, this this isn't an issue of a party versus another or a, a candidate over another. It's an issue of um, that the prisons are fundamentally a problem, not just private prisons, not just Alabama's prisons, not just the amount of prisons, but prisons themselves are what we're in opposition to. We we identify our organization as being ab- abolitionist, um, so. To come at that and to like interact with these political systems from that perspective, that that is what kind of informs the fact that we um, don't, you know, look to to sponsor or get behind any particular particular candidates. Kind of on a completely different note, what uh, advice would you guys give to students on other college campuses and other states who are looking to build similar movements, whether it's workers' rights, you know, abolition movements, et cetera? I love this question. <laughs> Um, I guess like my, my first thing they always, I always like to say to anyone, anything, it's like, just like jump at any opportunities to get, get involved. You know, all, for all three of us up here, you know, we wouldn't have done any of the work that we've done in, 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 uh, in Auburn, you know, and our students against prisons or otherwise without, you know, someone taking a chance on us or us jumping at an opportunity that we didn't exactly know what we were going to do. Um, so my, so, you know, for any student who's out there, just like find an issue that you're passionate about. Doesn't have to be about this. Can be about anything that you want to see changing your community, and give us some friends that also share those similar beliefs, and just try to you know make change and raise hell in your in your city or state. Um, you know, a lot of you know a lot of you know what something that's you know so amazing about like grassroots movements is that they come out of the most like unexpected places. Um, you know, I you know, and I a year ago I was you know just kind of chilling, thinking about like what am I going to do with my life, and you know I'm able to find something that I'm so passionate about, you know, in activism and in political campaigns. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't, you know, take a chance one day on a Zoom call at 6 p.m. And, and just kind of say my piece. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things is that just seeing how like students, though historically, you know, people have, you know, say that they, you know, they're too young to make change, there's, you know, the naive and just seeing that like all that's not true and you can, you know, change worlds by being a student. Uh, you know, there's people who are younger than me who are making the, you know, changing the world across the world. And that's fascinating. And that's one of the most amazing things about activism that like, it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate between age, race, gender, identity. If, if you, if you're passionate about something and you want to make change, you can get it done. It takes a lot of work and it's not easy, but you can get it done. And that's my advice for anyone. Just, you know, find some friends, find an issue and just, you know, start making change. I want to emphasize too the, the friends part. Um, this is really tough, long work that, you know, most likely we won't see the the fruits of. Um, and so having a community that, you know, we can get to work and do a direct action or have a really long meeting about strategy or other things, but then, you know, 10 minutes after that call ends, we can laugh and have fun and just be college students together. Um, is really important because otherwise, I mean, the, the days get long and the weeks feel long and some days it's really hard. Um, but having that community and having those friends that you're in community with to organize, I think is really what 
makes a movement last. Um, and then another part of, the, of this that I think is is really important and advice that I would give is to realize that whatever whatever your issue is, like that it's part of a narrative that has been going on like long before us and will continue going on long after um, we're directly engaged with it. Because um, I think it's really easy, especially as young people on college campuses to um, find something and be like, oh, this is an issue. Everyone should know about this and care about this. And I'm gonna know about this and care about this and do things in this area right now. Um, but um, to just like jump into that um, can sometimes be ineffective and sometimes actually be harmful to those people who are most affected by that issue. Um, so my advice would be to um, connect with people who are already doing the work, um, to get educated about whatever this movement is, um, whatever the issue is. Or, I mean, in the case of, of our, our work, we've already mentioned, um, you know, connecting with incarcerated and formerly incarcerated populations, um, other organizations who are already um, in community with, with those populations, and also um, learning about abolitionist struggles in general, like long, long before us, um, their origins in Black slash Indigenous communities, things like that. So really build your education about around what your issue is, um, such that you're not perpetuating harm in, by, you know, even becoming involved. But I also think that uh, you guys are doing a really good job informationally to radicalize with your education. Your, your facts are really like eye-catching. Eye and I feel like so often um, when we educate others, it tends to be this kind of this like boring process where people, you know, read some theory or read some X, Y, and Z, and it just becomes this overwhelming uh, flow of literature that people aren't necessarily ready for. But y'all's is super digestible, which I think speaks to y'all being able to go across the ideological spectrum on an issue basis. I also wanted to ask about Kay Ivey and kind of her role in all this. Is she particularly new and more aggressive with her prison plan or does she kind of fall in line um, with what you guys have seen before in Alabama in regards to the prison industrial complex? Um, I can take this one, however, all three of you are welcome to stop me um, because I can ramble about this. But Governor Ivy has chosen a different pathway to build more prisons, but the state has built prisons and it has ended poorly before. Um, so starting in the 1970s, Alabama was kind of at the, the forefront of litigation related to prison conditions. Um, this was happening across the country. And that, that case basically said, this prison system is unconstitutional. Um, it is actually a place where more trauma and more harm occurs to people to the point where they leave and are literally in worse positions mentally, physically, and emotionally because of them. Um, over the course up until now, um, we've seen a trend of facilities being built. So in the 1980s, I believe um, about five facilities were built between like over five years. Um, and by the end of that decade, um, the last facility was built in 1983. By the end of that decade, the prison population had almost doubled. Um, so in, from about 5,000 to 12,000. We fast forward to the 90s, um, I think mid 90s, and then 1998, three main facilities were built and then some community centers. Um, I, did, I did air quotes for those who are listening on the podcast, community centers. 
And again, we see the capacity of our prisons almost double um, the bed space. And by, I think, mid-2004 or five, um, the legislature was being warned that we're going to hit 30,000 people in our prisons. We have about 14,000 beds um, and something needs to be done about this. And so we see an attempt to create a stopgap parole board. So like a literal second parole board is created to try and get through the backlog and look at people who are within a year of their parole. Um, And I mean, the problem worsens, right? And then you get to the 2010s um, and we see the population decrease, um, but only to about a low of 25,000 in custody of ADOC. Um, And then we hit about 2017, the parole board stops doing their job. Um, Violence is worsening inside of the prisons. And there's a major lawsuit that says, you know, the medical care system is non-existent basically. And again, that's another trend. Um, You know, medical care has been non-existent since at least the 1970s, definitely before that. But um, we get to 2019 and the DOJ sends a letter of notice to the state that says you're understaffed, you're overcrowded, you're failing to protect people from death and violence and sexual assault. Um, And in that letter, they say, you know, while new facilities might cure the problem for a few years as as it relates to physical conditions, um, the culture in these prisons and the environment and the eventual neglect by elected officials and the ADOC um, will just lead to the same problems, right? You can't fix overcrowding with three buildings. In 2020, we get a surprise letter documenting excessive use of force. In between those two letters, there's a task force to look at this problem. And what comes out of that is absolutely zero policy or recommendations from the task force. And instead, Governor Ivey decides to implement the Alabama, I think, prison transformation project or something. Um, and that the answer is three privately owned state leased mega prisons that will house 3,100 people, be overcrowded on day one. Um, and just a few weeks ago, it, it's been admitted that they're trying to expand the bed capacity of the Alabama prison system. So they're not trying to replace beds. Um, or create better conditions, or they don't intend to close anything. They're trying to expand bed capacity. Um, And so I think while Governor Ivey is choosing a very different, um, very not, I mean, not not transparent, unaccountable, legislators were literally not able to read the contracts until they dropped. Um, It is just another, I think, tactic by the state to expand the prison system, ignore the suffering of the people inside the prison system and avoid the problem. Um, The DOJ sued us in December after they had heard we were gonna build these prisons. I mean, I assume the DOJ reads the news. So they know we're gonna build them and they still sued us. Um, So we're not gonna build our way out of this. People are hurting, people are suffering, people are dying just yesterday we found out that someone died because um, they were having uh, chest pain and no one got them medical care and they died. And Alabama prison is, is not just, you know, 
five years or 10 years or whatever the state tells folks that they're going to stay in there for, it's literally life or death. That That's the situation. Um, that was a very long-winded answer. I think the plan is very secretive and suspicious and it's just a bad policy plan in general. Um, yeah, really, really well said. Um, I, yeah, that, we've seen the Governor Ivy, um, as Hannah illustrated, is like especially egregious in terms of no transparency, in terms of not talk, communicating with anyone or letting anyone communicate with her. Um, her social media is like, you're, it's impossible to get a response or uh, even comment on her Instagram posts or anything like that. So the ways that we've had to try to get her have been very different from the ways that we've been able to contact any other, anyone else involved in the prison plan. And obviously, I mean, her track record of, I mean, the, her, the death penalties um, under her, her um, support of her hypocritical um, support of anti-abortion legislature, um, things like that. Um, they, there's just a lot of reasons to have personal vendettas against Governor Cavi is what I'm trying to say. But to, to Hannah's point, it's, it's not about her and it doesn't stop with her um, because the state's going to keep, going to keep building prisons. Um, uh, whether it, it does it in a secretive back, backhanded way like uh, Ivy's done it or in a very public way that um, you know somehow uh, gathers the support of many. Um, prisons are going to keep being built and they're going to keep harming people. Um, and we and many others throughout the state are going to keep um, opposing them. I think that's a, a great message talking about how, uh, you know, it's more than just one political moment or, or one person. I like that, uh, that analysis. Solomon, you had mentioned ties to the prison industrial complex. Um, do you want to touch on that before we go? You know, I, I have someone, who, I, have, I have a family that's been, you know, incarcerated um, in the state of Alabama. Um, some for like a minor charge of weed, weed possession, some for like, you know, multiple, you know, multiple like 25 plus years so it's it's definitely something that like you know and they're like you know distant family but it you know it certainly like makes you want to work harder in a way knowing people that have been incarcerated who are incarcerated you know you hear stories from family about them you see you know the you know sometimes i'll be in and i was a kid i used to be in the you know in grandma's living room and you know my family be calling them on the phone and i didn't you know and i didn't know that like that was the only phone call they got like that week well, sometimes you only got that like phone call like once a month. So it, it definitely like looking back on it, it puts more perspective on how like special those moments were and how angry you are at the system for, and I guess like demon, like, you know, demonizing people because at the end of the day, you know, there's still people, they have lives, they have dreams, they have families, they have hopes, they have friends. I know that, you know, you know, I, you know, there's people who are incarcerated who I, I knew from from high school. <laughs> like I, I was in classes with them. I did sports with them. I ate cafeteria food with them. You know, you know, nothing really separates me and them except they're behind, you know, a system that, you know, oppresses them. And, and I think that, you know, having those ties, it makes you want to work harder for them because sometimes the best motivation is just spite and just, you know, spite of, of a system that, did, you know, tries to tear down, you know, people that I know and people that have the same skin color as me. And you, you, you want to continue to fight for those who don't have the, the platform and voice that, that you have. And I think that's, you know, what, I think that's very important in that, you know, you know we are, are by no means, you know, we are, I've never been incarcerated. Not, you know, none of the three of us have. So I will never take away the voice of someone else's 
but one thing that I, I try to do and, and, and luckily the pe- you know, people that we work with, they try, they, 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 they use our voice for the, for the, for the cause and they use our voice, you know, the, the, for a better future in Alabama and, you know, having the spite of people that, you know, in the system is a great way to get motivated to keep fighting for, for, for more. Before we go, I, I do want to know what you guys see as the, the most feasible steps. Cause obviously what we're talking about prison abolition is a massive height. And that's, if it ever happens, will be, you know, a massive win, but it, it might take a while to get there. What do you guys see as the most immediate step? Um, I can start on this and, and y'all can add if you like. Um, first you said, um, if it happens, and I want to say that um, it must happen and it is happening. You know, abolition is, is something that people are practicing right now, that people have been practicing. Um, and uh, I mean, there's a number of steps. Um, one definitely is, um, mutual aid um, that's aimed at communities and that's aimed at, um, especially on the, on the subject of prison abolition, um, incarcerated and formerly incarcerated individuals. Um, and that looks like um, not only just giving money to funds, but it looks like forming community support um, for people who, who need it, um, whether that's reentry or it's um, identifying needs within your community um, for, for those who are gonna be especially targeted by the system like young black and brown people, um, for example. And kind of, kind of interject, intercepting that relationship um, between the state and those people which it targets to shelter them in community and, and help them to, to not end up um, in those places and to, to stop the state from, from interrupting that lives and their lives in that way. So that's one area is, is mutual aid. And that, that's, that spans a lot of things. Um, and I think Anything that builds community power, anything that um, helps people to live independently of the state is, is also a, a step in abolition. So um, for example, um, just looking at the local needs of your community, um, why are people calling the police? Are there ways that you can work together to provide alternatives to that? I'll say a, a third piece is, is just the education required to you know, kill the cops in your mind, um, kill the, the prisons, the carceral mindset that you have such that we're not, the way that we deal with harm amongst each other um, doesn't replicate the, the damage that we see um, in the carceral state. Because um, I think we easily forget how those things are so interrelated um, and how that affects, affects our mindset so much. So yeah, th- those will be my three. I think um, my answer, I think for Alabama specifically is one um, for elected officials to either really analyze and change the way that they think about the legal system and punishment and prisons very quickly (laughs) or lose their job Um, because like the answer is not going to be any of the things that are continually repeating in history in Alabama it's going to be changing the way that we just like we insist on incarcerating and criminalizing everything um, to the point of, of crisis um, and with, with the mindset of neglect and dehumanization. Um, so immediately changing that, that mindset and being intentional about it. Um, and then second is just implement policies that are focused on decarceration, grant people paroles. Um, we have a parole crisis. It's become, you know, relitigating someone's trial versus who are they now? And so, I mean, those are two 
kind of examples, but just decarceration and focusing on incarcerating less people for as, as it's going to take a while to unravel the system that is Alabama. So that's, that's my answer for immediate steps. It's just the, 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 the top it all off. I would, you know, one thing that I've always tried to preach is like, you know, you gotta, you gotta put money back in the communities. You know, you gotta put money in the education, into social programs, like after school programs for kids, got to put money into theater, you got to put money into healthcare, you got to put money into, you know, job programs, because, you know, if you look at any statistics of any crime statistics, the thing that helps is, you know, social economics, raising the social economic status and putting money back and putting money back into the pockets of the people who live in these communities is the best thing you can do to solve the quote unquote solve the crisis. But it's just, it's never been in, in building new prisons. That's never worked. And it, it just, it raises the happiness level that instead of seeing my family incarcerated, I can see, you know, my younger, you know, my younger cousins instead get into sports or get into theater or get into passions that they want to enjoy. And instead of them work, being in this, this pipeline, it's going to funnel them back into the prison system. You know, they can go and, you know, have a creative life. And, you know, when my family that's older, they can, you know, when they get sick, they don't have to pay thousands of dollars for health care or like someone like me who's dealt with mental health problems. Instead of having to spend thousands of dollars for like anxiety medication, I can just get it for free. Well, I think that's a, a great note to end it on. Um, before you guys go, where can people find you guys? Um, we are at AL Students Against Prisons on Instagram at AL Against Prison on Twitter and Alabama Students Against Prisons on Facebook. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank y'all for listening to another episode of Excuse Me While I Organize, available on Spotify, Apple Music, and SoundCloud. Make sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Organize Podcast.